1: i'm jonathan wakefield and this is the beer hour on sirius xm business radio 132. each week we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor i'm here in the taproom with my co-host maria cabre hello maria
2: hi john who's our first guest our first guest is the co-owner of Boneflower craft meat company in portage indiana along with friend and former colleague in the air pollution testing business Jeff Resney, he founded Boneflower in 2018 with a membership-only business model. In three short years, the number of members has doubled, and the trend shows no sign of slowing. His meads are also popular on the National Beer Festival circuit, where attendees line up to sample favorites like Slow Heavy Jam.
1: Welcome to the Beer Hour, Aaron Shavy. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, when did you have your first mead? And was that like an aha moment? Did you have an inclination that it would become a passion of your life's work?
0: Yeah. So for me, it actually goes back much further than I originally, I think I remembered. You know, I remember going to like Renaissance fairs with the families and stuff. Right. And you can get a big wooden mug full of crap meat, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of what it was supposed to be at that point. Just kind of a you know, five, six, seven percent ABV, maybe lightly carbonated, or maybe not at all, or maybe it was still half fermenting at those festivals. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, right. it was, uh, you know, and I remember having it going, I, I don't think I like meat, you know? Right. And then finding bottles on the shelves as I, you know, got into the beer game and you know, bottle shares, I mean, they still are relevant today and are still uh, a big part of the craft industry. But I remember when I first got into, you know, craft beer six, seven years ago, it was the biggest part of it. It's all you look forward to is bringing the rarest bottle or the most different one you can find. And meads would start to float in some of these shares here and there. And they were mostly from, you know, just stuff you can find in grocery stores, liquor stores on the shelves. And I remember having some of that stuff and going, I don't think I really like this much either. You know, it wasn't (laughs) until, you know, six, seven years ago, maybe even a little earlier than that when I had stuff like, uh, SRAMS, uh, superstition in some of the earlier, like moonlight stuff that I got introduced to, to introduced to the, like the higher ABV still meads that, right. that can be, you know, fruited and spiced and even barrel aged, all that stuff. So it wasn't really until then probably five, six years ago or so now that uh, I said, well, wow, I really like these. What makes these so different than the others? Well, it's just like beer. There's so many different styles of it and different interpretations and how it's made. So it was really then when I started getting some of that heavy still stuff from like, yeah, superstition, trams and, and so forth, that I kind of started to fall in love with it and going, I, I really like this. What but was I, uh, what? I had trouble locating right. it. You know, it wasn't right. really readily available.
1: Right. What what was, uh, what's the other, uh, damn, it's been so long, the uh, the meadery, well, it's also a brewery out of Michigan that does, like, the banana like or the French toast and... Uh,
0: oh, Coonan? Do they still do it? I haven't seen a Coonan mead in a long time. You know, I, I haven't really followed them enough to really right. keep track, but I haven't heard a lot out of the, their mead camp in, in some years.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time, man. I, I remember drinking that, I mean, this was, like, a decade ago, and... I was like, wow, this is really good, but this is like really loaded with sugar, man. This is like, wow. But I mean, I I think it's a far cry from back then till now. And And I've also heard that like you're obviously a fan of Three Floyds, being from the area that you are. How did beer influence you to try your hand at Craft Mead?
0: So it's really interesting um, <clears throat> growing up 15 miles from three Floyd's my whole life. Right. Uh, well, as long as they've been here, which is most of my life at this point, but or at least half of it, we drank craft beer um, in the area. Like, you know, I hope my mother's not listening, but when I was 19 years old, right, we'd throw right. keg parties and stuff, <laughs> I would, I would have kegs of three Floyd's beer in my bathtub wow. as keg party stuff. So we'd be drinking gumball head and then Damn. we'd be like a, you know, a keg of cheap stuff to throw outside. But the good beer was always like in the bathtub. And that's not nice. a joke. I really have three Floyd kegs in my bathtub full of ice for parties, <laughs> but we grew up drinking it. It was just a normal beer. Like even we, we've got a, a nice collection of dive bars in this area and we, uh, if you go to some of the original ones around here, they'll have three Floyd stuff on tap that you won't see anywhere else because they've had those accounts for so long and they still treat them. Well, like my closest bar is two miles, not even two miles from my front door. And I've been going there since I was probably before I was old enough to drink, but we, uh, you know, they've had zombie dust and stuff on tap when nobody else could get it. And when people were trying their hardest to get their hands on it, it would always be like three twenty-five a pint. Ooh. Okay. So, so we grew up kind of with a, graph, a craft mindset around here, you know, beer to us was craft beer and it, it, it truly was, you know, right. that's what we drank.
1: Nice. And that kind of kind of led way, obviously me later on, you know what I mean? And you's kind of, you guys kind of doing your own things. You, you have a partner like I think I've read that you met Jeff at work
0: yeah. Jeff and I have worked together, um, in like air pollution testing industry. We used to, we were contractors for the government. Um, him and I have been working together for over in one way. We worked together for over 10 years, you know, wow. off and on different companies, uh, contracting one another and helping each other out with stuff like that. So I met him because I worked with him. He was actually my boss for a while. And then <laughs> he got me promoted into a, a better job and we just kind of worked side by side and collaborated collaborated on our work together and we've just been friends ever since we don't really work much together these days but we uh we own a meatery together and there we go (laughs) that's what we do Were, were you making
1: meat at home at that point when you met jeff
0: yes yeah so i was making small five gallon batches little glass carboys of stuff uh boy do i miss that freedom but uh
1: (laughs) i think we all do i think we all miss that you know we would
0: you know i was making small batches here and there and kind of got jeff to try some of it and he was like wow you know this is good i'm like you should check this out like i you know i I, we kind of gave it a name called it bone flower and would just give away bottles to people locally and next thing you know you know everybody is asking for it and it's like it's expensive to make at the time and it's small batches. I can't really, uh, afford to be just giving it away. So I kind of moved it to an online platform and did like giveaways, you know, on that side, but yeah, I was making meat at home, uh, for, uh, you know, just a couple years before we went commercial with it and decided to really do something with it. Do you mind uh, taking a second
1: to give our listeners who maybe have never tried mead? Can, can you give them a brief description of what yes. meat is and how it's made?
0: Yeah. So again, mead can be. There's. You can have light. What we would call like session meads now. At this point, the word session has kind of stuck itself to the mead world too. Which would be your lower ABV stuff. Um, it can be carbonated. It can be still. Um, it can be made with just by fermenting honey water. You mix honey water, yeast. You, eventually, it'll turn into mead. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't do a whole lot of the the more simple stuff. We like to complicate it as much as possible over here. I'm I'm pretty sure. We do a lot of fruit in mead. That's kind of where we our specialty is, is like, uh, you know, your blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, any of that stuff. And then we ferment that fruit with the uh, the honey and water if needed. And eventually, like I said, you know, our ferments can take anywhere from one week, you know, they can blast through it or it could take a month to kind of slow roll it and let it ferment, you know, as it pleases. Um, but we also do a lot of stuff with spices and, you know, your vanillas, cinnamons and, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of oak aid stuff on our end. We do use a lot of spirit bar- barrels and a lot of uh, new oak, toasted oak, uh, wine barrels. We're really trying to put almost everything we make in barrels these days. Um, it's not all of it, but it's it's going to be by this time next year, it'll be about 90 percent is is my goal.
1: I mean, it really sounds like that's a trend here because we've kind of fallen out of, you know, it used to be that people drank a lot of stouts. You know what I mean? Yep. Like green you know, non barrel aged. But as we've been, you know, seven going into eight years on this, we've seen the trend that people just want barrel aged. Yeah. Like all stouts need to be in barrels now. Like no one really wants a green stout. They want something that's turning into the
0: standard. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost expected. this better be in a barrel, you know? And with meat, it's a little different again, because meat can be all these different. And I won't go into all the subcategories because you've got piments, which is great. Mead sizers. I, I, was, I was,
1: I was actually going to ask you that to kind of school me on that a little bit better. Like sizers, piments. And then
0: so technically a sizer would just be uh, apple cider or apple juice and honey. So it's just an apple mead. The second by, by definition, the second you put another fruit in there, it's now just in the big mellow mellow category, which uh, just means fruits. Okay. Um, I remember when I entered when we took second place, when I took second place as a home mead maker at Maser Cup, I originally entered my cherry apple mead as a sizer and they sent it back. So, well, it's technically a mellow now because you put the cherry in it. So, there's a, a big graph with all the subcategories. At the end of the day, it's all just different variations of mead. It's right. what you like. You know, what we kind of specialize in for the most part is some type of barrel aged, uh, Traditions, traditionals now that we're doing and As well as, uh, you know, the fruited stuff At four, roughly 14% The average ABB we clock in at It can go up and Jeez. down from there um, And everything that we've put out So far is a still mead
1: Right, nice, have you thought of going Into like the session carbonated meads yet i mean
0: i will buy i will buy two seven seven to eight barrel uh firm unit tanks as soon as i can find some i've been in the market for nice. uh, over six months now it's just a bad time to try to be buying tanks because we can't find anything
1: well and steel right. steel prices are also like you yeah know. I,
0: i'm I almost bought them last year and the tanks that I was looking at went up 40% in cost. Yep. So yep. I, I might just have to bite the bullet and go ahead, but it's something we're definitely looking at. Um, nice. taking a lot of inspiration from some of those session guys out there. We got standard meet up by us in the Chicago suburbs. They do right. really good sessions. Our friends manic me do good sessions. And then my favorite sessions of all time being nectar stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, Brad. Yeah. Brad, Brad's, you know, I could drink his session stuff all day. So <laughs> yeah. we, we do have a plan. That's not, as of now, that it won't be the focus. Our focus is continue to make the big, heavier, sweeter, right. uh, barrel aged stuff. But uh, our 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 members ask for it. They ask yep. if we're going to get into it, and we've tested the waters with some like fruited ciders and a couple sessions at some of the festivals and stuff we do. And it's it's got a lot of uh, great reviews on it. So excellent. It'd be excellent. silly of us not to at least give it, offer that to our customers uh, to some level.
1: Right, I hear you. So we kind of reach, you know, a critical junction in the arc of the story. Like most brewers, mead makers, you know, that we've interviewed on Beer Hour have a similar backstory. It goes like this. Most, you know, start as home brewers, stick with it, get better. Friends and family tell them they should be selling their beer. You know, like a vast majority of these people like laugh it off and continue to happily homebrew. But a very small percentage of those homebrewers, the crazy ones like myself, we call them, Decided it's a great idea. They quit their jobs, go into debt, and open a craft brewery, meadery. Is that how it kind of all unfolded for you as well?
0: Not exactly. Um, You know, a lot of – I won't overshare too much of my personal life, but I still have a day job. Um, I still do a day job. Luckily, it's a sales job. And what's – you know, a silver lining of the pandemic for me was it allowed me to – Previously, I've been traveling the world for 15 years just nonstop. I was there was one year I did over 200 days on the road just working. Wow, and the pandemic slowed everything down. It went from me one, you know, worrying about which flight I had to take at five in the morning next day to get to city to get to city A, B, and C to uh, you're not allowed to go anywhere, stay home, don't go anywhere, and work from home. So I'm able to do that and I got a pretty flexible schedule, uh, why I'm able to do stuff like this right now. But, you know, you know, my wife, Ramey, um, you know, she, she's the best, you know, she really babysits the product on a daily basis. You know, people often are like Jeff, you know, Aaron makes the meat and Jeff's business owner. Like really Ramey is, you know, outside of Jeff and I being the owners, she's really the one that's there, you know, nurturing the meat. Like, you know, we went and threw together a, uh, fun traditional yesterday, knocked it out in a couple hours. I'm there to help, you know, just give a hand, pitch yeast. And then she's like, okay, you can get out of my shop now. While she, <laughs> You know, put stuff back where it belongs. That's so right. she, she's an integral part of the business because we got to do that with her. We got to sit back during the pandemic and say, cause she's a hairstylist and she wasn't doing haircuts cause she couldn't. So right. we decided that, uh, she was able to walk away from, uh, her hairstyle stuff and she's full-time, you know, salaried employee of bone and she kind of takes care of the day-to-day stuff. That's amazing, man. I'm slowly working my way more and more in that direction as we, uh, we grow and grow. But, uh, I see it happening in the the not so distant future to kind of make that leap. It's a hard leap, right? Because oh, absolutely. I absolutely got bills, do. you got a, I got a family, I got, you know, I'm responsible for it's really oh. hard to just up and leave, you mm-hmm. know, but now that the business is, uh, you know, we're profitable the way we, I'm sure you remember a little bit of our backstory, but we kind of got started with like an Indiegogo campaign. Yep. So we were fortunate enough that that was super successful. And we started the business, you know, almost four years ago with capital to work with. So we carry very little debt and we kind of, we're a flow business doing bottle releases to our members and just kind of keep cycling every dollar back in, you know, nice. I haven't paid myself yet. Jeff hasn't, but, uh, it's all for the better of growing the business. You know, we got a new location just about a year ago. That's, uh, It was four times the size of what we were working with. Um, We just built out a little tasting room for our members to be able to sit down and kind of relax when they come to pick up their bottles. So definitely a little bit of a different uh, method of getting here, but it's just where we're at now. And it's it's what it took for us to get to where we're at.
2: You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield, and we're talking to Aaron Shavey of Boneflower Craft and Mead.
1: So you refer to members more than a few times here. What what
0: really is that business model that you have? Are you members only? We are one hundred percent members only. The public cannot purchase our product. Um, we we don't do any distribution. Um, the only time people get an opportunity that aren't members to try our product are at festivals like that's, like Wakefest right. and right. some of the stuff that we sign on to do. Um, and I, I haven't figured out if that's been more for business or pleasure on my, you know, selfishly, <laughs> right. um, but right. co- conveniently, it works out for both. You know, every time we do a fest like that, I get, you know, hundreds of emails where we've got a wait list for people to get on to eventually become nice. a member. So we're members only in our membership. We do two years because mead takes so long and yep. it's the mead definitely tells you when it's ready. We do two years. They get some included bottles with it. They get an excellent uh, what I would consider a higher end merch package with like laggioli brand ba- branded openers and wine bags and nice. and so forth. And we do a, a biannual party for that membership, which ours is coming up in August. But uh, yeah, it's, it's members only, and we allow them to like proxy for other members, but we don't ship anything or not you know anything like that. They they, they purchase their stuff online and they come see us and pick it up. And sometimes we got proxies that'll come and say, I'm picking up for 25 people and they leave with cases and cases and cases of bottles. But we will probably look more into the shipping stuff. uh, As we grow, as the numbers continue to grow to create that convenience for the customer, you know, they need to be able to in the future to just order it, pay for shipping and have it sent to them. The, I'm sure, as you know, the logistics in that gets very Uh, difficult uh, in every single state. Um, there are companies out there that can kind of handle like 48 of the States and kind of handle it for you, but the fees are real high and such, but it's something we're looking into. We're going to try to make it a little more easier to get in their hands. But as of right now, we're going to stick with the members only platform because it's worked for us and it's grown every year. And we hope to grow that until a point that, uh, well, I mean, the the customers will tell us if it's something they're not interested anymore. And as of right now, they sign up. They signed up right away. Bought all, all the memberships and continue to buy every bottle, every every drop we make. They continue to just buy it all up. So nice. It's a good problem to
1: have. Absolutely. So you guys are in Portage, Indiana. Are there other craft breweries there as well, or were there before
0: you opened? Um, at our location, no. In, in Portage, I don't think there's any breweries in Portage I can think of, but in the two counties touching each other were considered suburbs of Chicago. So right. uh, Lake County and Porter County. Oh, of course. We, we, we probably have 30 plus breweries and yeah. more. And we got meaderies, wineries, right. cider, strictly cider houses and such. So we are very craft heavy in this area. Nice. And again, a lot of that going back to our earlier conversation is people like Three Floyd's, Three Floyds. paving the way and yeah. saying, like, look, this is an option.
1: Was was there an education process for the local market, or were there enough me drinkers in that community to get the company off to kind of like a strong start?
0: So I think we're fortunate. We, we were, you know, one of the first, and it's only been, a, you know, it's less than four years, we were one of the first to get our commercial license to do so. But... Quickly, others, we had other, you know, some of our friends like Manic Mead and Crown Point, Indiana and Lake County it's very close to here. They were right on, you know, just behind us getting their license. And then we got, you know, Standard Me, Pips Me. Oh, my uh, gosh, yeah. I mean, it's just endless. So we, we call this area, like if you go up to like the northern suburbs of Chicago and trail it all the way over to like Detroit, it's, we call it the sugar belt, you know, it's like this <laughs> okay. it's sweet me drinkers. And there's a lot of them in this area. Luckily for us, it's already so craft heavy. Um, the education is less than it would be in a lot of other areas. Right. It being mead, there's a education process. I think for about 50% of the people I still meet, you either know what meat is or you don't, right. or you only know of like the Renaissance fair type type that we talked <laughs> about. earlier. The still, but,
1: the still fermenting mead. Yes. Right. So we, uh, <laughs>
0: Luckily for us, the education process is not as difficult as it would be in other areas. And it's just because it's already craft heavy. But uh, there's still always an education process. We're still constantly talking to even some of our members explaining stuff and how we do things and why we make the styles that we do and so forth. How did
1: you guys go about? I mean, for me, it was Kickstarter campaign, plus obviously 15 years as a CPA and my father kind of seed money into opening this place. How did you guys go about financing the opening of the meadery?
0: So I made a name for myself, for the brand, getting started, like coming soon. Boneflower flower me to Northwest Indiana. Did some giveaways, stuff like that. Just got some word out there. Just uh, the craft beer pages. I infiltrated them. I went to every single beer fest I could back then, you know, especially all the stuff in Florida like yours. And would bring my bottles, share my bottles, and get people interested. And I got a little bit of a following. And then the way we launched our memberships was through Indiegogo. We had several different tiers and you know, the the whole campaigns as they call them. And I set a goal. I think we wanted originally like 60K to get going. We thought that was enough seed money to get uh, limited equipment, the space rented out and get going. But one of the key things I think that was beneficial to us is we waited until we got our license to do so. As soon as we got our federal and state license, we said, look, we're licensed. This isn't just a pipe dream. Like we're actually, we've done all the legal work in the back end here's the Indiana go, go campaign. Here's the link. And like I said, I think we targeted 60, 65, something like that. And a little over 12 hours later, I shut it off because we had to hit like 110,000 bucks or oh, something like that. Okay. And I said, you know, we celebrated quickly. And then the anxiety kicked in. I was like, we really just started a business business like this is we got more than <laughs> enough to get going. So yep. now we've got hundreds of people relying on us to deliver them the product that they just signed up for.
1: That is awesome, dude. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, trying to remember. I think we did. I mean, that's more than what I did on Kickstarter. I think I did 105 in like 48 hours. But that was like as soon as that, that moment hit, you're like, oh, no, what do we do now? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's kind of surreal.
0: Well, having no experience, you know, running running a craft business like this, it was very much, like you said, it was a little bit of a shock. Like, well, now what? (laughs) We got a bank account with money in it. So now how do we spend it and how do we spend it responsibly?
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, it was, uh, and then obviously for me, I think you did it in a better fashion, actually having the licenses in hand and then doing it versus like, you know, I did it and then it was like, hey, I still got to build out a spot. Hey, I still got to get licenses. And then it's like, I think that just adds more to the stress and the overall you know component of everything i mean i think your approach was actually a much smarter move um how many how many different meads do you think you've done by now
0: we've probably done close to 35 to 40 some experimental some just for fest only but we probably made 40 different meads at this point nice
1: how much overall i mean uh are you guys measured in in u.s barrels as well like how do they measure mead as far as like for tax we mostly wise? just
0: measure in gallons
1: yeah. yeah yeah mostly just in ones yeah I mean, for right for federal wise for beer, it's always you know thirty one gallons U S barrels. So I didn't know it. So it's just gallons for you guys. I can, I tax can tell or... you,
0: we pay our excise tax per gallon. <laughs> so
1: how many how many gallons did
0: you guys do last year? Last year, those metrics are it would, it would have been under eight, probably under five thousand gallons okay. just last year. You know, okay. that's a, that's we, that's we, a lot we, of meat. Yeah, we, we've doubled the membership since then, but it doesn't mean we're going to do the equal amount of releases. We we were originally doing like three bottles at a time, right. um, releasing them, which is, I think you can get away with that for us uh, a few times a year. But when we kept doing it, we were seeing certain bottles get ignored. Like a member would pick up one or two of these, but maybe not the third one. Just, just it means expensive, right? And I fully get it. And I don't want one of them to overshadow the others, so I kind of just space them out a little more to make sure that they, you know, get enjoyed and people get the opportunity to try them. So we haven't had a problem with selling out yet, but uh, we don't want to offer so much that they have to make a decision. You know, I want it right. to be this is what we have come out with, this is what we made this quarter. You know, enjoy it. I got I got one last question for you,
1: like I ask mostly everybody: What's next for Bone Flower? You know, like. In the grand scheme of things, you know, yeah. tap room, another location, uh, starting distro, like what, what's what's next for you guys?
0: It's hard to say. We're kind of letting the business kind of grow itself, you know, as far as we keep, again, we're not paying, us owners aren't paying ourselves, but just to keep it invested in the business. But I think, you know, this membership that we're in currently doesn't end until uh, close to the end of next, of 2023. Right. Um, right now, the first you know, I'm working on this big party that we're we're doing. Um, you know, we'll be actually be announcing uh, Jay Wakefield Brewing in the next few days uh, for that as well. So my focus is on that right now. But then I think the grand scheme of things is to grow the membership more, keep doubling the amount of members, up our production size, and eventually you know we've been looking at tap room options for a while now. We're just trying to wait for it to make sense. You know, the pandemic right. really. just there was so many, what ifs, it was a real bad time to invest what we, what we've made into a business that we knew wasn't going to turn any profit for a very long time. But now that as things kind of, you know, as the virus settles out and, uh, you know, there's less people getting, uh, Dangerously sick, and we're all open and more willing to go to breweries and tap rooms and you know wineries and stuff like that, and go to festivals. Uh, very much, the plan is to grow the membership, get a tap room open, and expand our product line, and, and keep going from there. You know, awesome. we're, we're going to try to stay out of distribution as long as possible. Yes, good even idea. <laughs> but if, if eventually the business tells us that's what the direction we have to go, then we'll explore it. But as of right now, we have no desire to do that. We we hmm. like selling directly to the customer. And it also gives us much better interactions with the people that are drinking our product. We get to talk to them. You know, we got private Facebook groups with everybody that's a member and I talk to them daily, you know, answer right. questions or I let them pick my brain often. You know, I'm a pretty open book. I don't have many secrets. So getting to talk to the customer is, is I think uh, something we're very fortunate enough to still be able to hang on to because so many people don't as soon as you hit that big distribution only market.
1: I would agree with that. So, but thank you very much for joining us today, Aaron. This has been uh, very open and light enlightening for sure. You know, the business model that you have, it's it's one you really don't hear often of. And it's actually, you know, it's actually, you know, a bright light, You know, <laughs> keep you, you know, <laughs> that it can be done, you know what I mean? And keep you connected with those customers. So, but thank you very much for your time, man. I really appreciate
0: it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope to see you all soon.
1: Oh, we will. Absolutely. See
0: you soon, brother. All right, cheers. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture.
2: Our next guest founded a nonprofit organization called 300 Letters, which helps families navigate the challenges of parental incarceration. They draw upon their own experiences as incarcerated parents of two young children and help those in similar situations to keep their families together as they work to rebuild their lives.
1: Welcome to the Beer Hour, Amanda and Legend Tarver. Thank you uh, very much for actually coming in the tap room today to, uh, to join us on the show. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you guys on.
3: Thank you for having us.
4: I needed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: how'd you guys actually meet? Take us back.
4: That's such a funny story. Okay,
3: You're going to do that? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. How do we meet? I actually uh, read a letter about this the other day. Yesterday. Yeah. No, uh, it was yesterday. So um, we actually met on ladies night at Coconut Grove right here in okay. Miami. Okay. Okay. Um, 2012. Take it back. 2012. Oh, baby, 2012. wow. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. So like in detail, uh, basically, I think none of us wanted to go out that night. We talk about it in retrospect. My, my, my boy, he dragged me out that night. He was like begging me to go. It's like a Wednesday night. Um, I had school the next day and everything, and um, Amanda was in the same situation from her friend, like, begging her to go out. Yeah, begging and, me to go out. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so we go, we go out that night, and we're, like, walking by each other on the street. I'm walking up to, uh, me and my boy walking up to her and her, and Amanda and her friend, and, um our friends knew each other. So they started talking, hey, you know oh, what's up. okay. And we were just there okay. like, hey, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> and it had to be a whole, a whole five minutes before they just took off. And oh, boy. And we didn't, like, we didn't see them again for who knows how long. And uh, me and her were just like, uh, okay, so. guess What are we going to do? <laughs> we just started talking. And it was the craziest thing because it just kind of felt like we were old friends catching up, like picking up where we left off type of thing. And like, Ever since that day, we were like, inseparable. Literally nice. from yeah. that
1: day, nice. we were just like, hey, And, well, obviously, you've been inseparable since then. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. So let's kind of get into the meat of this, of kind of what your foundation is based off of. Mm-hmm. Why were you incarcerated, and how much time did each of you spend?
3: Okay. Um, drug-related offenses. Uh, it was... Pretty much my fault. I kind of got Amanda <laughs> <laughs> caught up in it. It's, it's, it's funny now. We could laugh about it. That's okay. right. But right. it was not funny at the time. No. And, um, you know, uh, I was in college and I kind of thought that I was doing something that wasn't such a big deal. I was just selling a little Molly here and there. And um, I, I kind of got in over my head because, you know, little amounts turn to big amounts really fast. And then before I knew it, I got a federal indictment. And, um, yeah, that's how that planned out. Um, I got sentenced to 47 months. I was able to do a drug program and get 12 months taken off and some good time. So I did about two year and a half years. Amanda, how long did you do, baby?
4: I got sentenced to 24 months and did a year and a half.
3: Whoa. Yeah. Two,
4: two weeks into that is when I found out I was pregnant. Oh, so there's the spin. Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was our first <laughs>
3: offense too. So yeah, there you right. go. No traffic tickets or nothing, <laughs> but here you go. Two years <laughs> in prison.
1: Yeah. That, that's a little rough. Yeah. You also had an older son, Dorian. Yep. Who took care of him while you guys were inside?
3: Um, Legend's mom did. Yeah. A hundred percent. Mama? Yep. Mama, mama took care of her? Mama. Nice. Mama Dukes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She <laughs> took mom, care of too. mom. mom pulled in Clutch.
4: Yeah. Nice. She was there. That was our biggest support team right there.
1: <laughs> what went through your guys' mind when you found out that you were pregnant about it a month into your incarceration? Wow.
4: Um, I I it was really crazy, you know. When I got there, I was in a really bad space mentally. Um, I couldn't even process the fact that I was there, you know, being a first-time offense, offender, never been in trouble, then, you know, in, in a federal prison. Right. So one day I'm running the track, and, you know, that's, that's how we started spending our time. Like, we were already working out a lot prior to then, and it was just a way to, like, mentally escape and make your day go. So I'm running, I'm running, and I get, like, this cramp, and I'm like, what? why is my stomach hurting? I run all the time. So I realized that I was a little backed up on my menstruation, but the stress and, you know, everything right. else going on, you, you just don't know what's going on really. So uh, I let a week pass by and I go to the medical and I'm like, um, I, I need to take a pregnancy test. And she's like, okay, we'll come back tomorrow. Cause Sundays we don't do pregnancy tests. I'm like, okay. So I go back and that nurse actually, she's the one who like made my time really manageable with the pregnancy. She was amazing with me. Um, the next day I go, I take a pregnancy test and she's like, do you want to see it? And I told her, why would I want to see the pregnancy test if it's negative? <laughs> and she was, like, <laughs> she was like, oh, you're having a baby. And I was like, why are you so? <laughs>
1: like, oh, my gosh. What
4: is going on? Right. You know, what is going oh, on? But it was her personality, her, you know, it was just her, her way of being that helped me, like, get through it right then in that moment. And um, I was stressed the hell out. Like, I was stressed. I was like, this is not happening. I'm not with my oldest son. I'm in the worst position of my life. I, I just don't even know how to process this and now I got to tell Legend, hey, guess what? You're going to be a dad. Uh, and Which I
3: couldn't believe, but was still ecstatic about. Right? Uh, you know, right. it was bittersweet. so bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
4: it really, really was. I, like, I, I was really stressed at that moment. Super stressed, really depressed. Didn't know how to manage all these emotions. I didn't even know how it was going to be, like, a long-term pregnancy. How this was, how my health was going to affect it right. mentally and emotionally. So I was freaking out. But, I mean... At the end, right, you know,
3: yeah, it ended up being like uh,
4: such a blessing, yeah, My of biggest course, blessing yes, ever. yeah,
3: <laughs> mm.
4: absolutely, know. yes. <laughs> it was,
3: it was <laughs> I remember when she, she told me, she was like, uh, legend, I think I'm pregnant, and like, this is before she got the before test, i did the test and now it's yeah. like Bro, shut the fuck up like, yeah, yeah, right. like, there's no way there's no way there's no like, way
4: this sequence of events right happened yeah. not like not yeah.
1: all this is happening back to back to back. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: That's, it was ridiculous damn
1: so you guys actually wrote over 300 letters to yeah. each other at you know during that time what was the significance of those letters and how did they provide like the motivation to kind of turn your lives around
3: Man, that's that's really just how we, like, stay connected. It was it was so much going on. And then, like, all right, so if you think about communication, first of all, we couldn't uh, correspond with each other because we're on the same case, right? right? So you have uh, married couples in there, like, right now, who they can't speak to each other if they're on the same case. It takes a long time to get correspondence. We actually got correspondence a year after, but by that time, we had already figured out how to talk to each other. right? <laughs> um, so first of all, we couldn't talk. Uh, you get... 300 minutes a month um in prison yeah that's the maximum amount of minutes you get that's 10 minutes a day right if you were to do it like that it's 15 minute calls and like the maximum was 15 minute calls and then you'll be surprised like 15 minutes goes like that like it's like hey how you doing oh you have you know a minute left um so the the reason why we started writing for sure is because like that way we could actually get our thoughts out and the way we felt at the time and stuff like that and um and that's what we started doing. We started writing to each other. What I, what I had to do was I had to write the letters to my mom and then my mom was sending letters to her. Again, she had we to repackage it. Really? Yeah, yeah. we couldn't. Yeah, wow. My mom was an intermediate between all of our phone calls. <laughs> or Everything. Or, Everything. Or, which I really hope to guys she didn't read those things. But right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I
4: would put a disclaimer. Do not read. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> but
3: that's how it started and that's really what just kept us connected like the most. And it's like, like looking back at it, I how we kept our that's trust together, we, our strength that's all together. We,
4: that's all kept us pushing. I mean, when you when you're there, you're disconnected from the world. Like you are pretty much this is a, probably the closest thing to death. You know, yeah. people forget about you. The people you think about that yep. care about you don't, um, or if they do, you know they're they're on their day to day lives as well. You know, they're not worried about you. You're completely secluded. There's no there's no way that they have access to you. So these letters are. Were everything like this is how we explained our feelings our thoughts and for me it's so much easier to put everything into paper and then to be able to communicate with the person that you trust most and miss the most is the only like that was our only option so we wrote down every detail of our day of my pregnancy of what we wanted to share with the kids um what we had in mind for the future there's things that we look at now because we don't go through those we haven't gone through those letters there's things that we look at now we're like whoa we wrote this down and we did it and that to me is like yeah manifestation the power. yeah the power crazy. of wow. word and manifestation yeah
1: i mean i really think it's like a lost art like nobody really writes letters anymore oh it's it's definitely like a lost art i mean i'm old enough to remember like i did not have cell phones I didn't really have, like, you know, you couldn't call up somebody. If you were calling somebody, you were calling somebody's house. Mm -hmm. Like, if I was somewhere else, like, the best way to communicate was by a letter. You know what I mean? And I think it's like a lost art. And how did you guys kind of turn that idea of those letters into the idea of helping other families in similar situations
4: come about? So, I mean, from a woman perspective, going through what I went through and not, you know, even being able to, to understand it at the moment the letters were all I had to vent. They were all I had to explain what was happening. Um, I knew I, I felt and saw a lot of things that needed to be addressed in that prison culture in that prison environment. And I would write it all down and tell him, express myself to him about, you know, certain things that I couldn't understand. Like, I'm still me. I'm still a person. I'm still a woman. Why is this happening? Why are people being treated this way? You know, why are we in these different situations? Like we're all human, you know, I'm I'm here right now, but I'm not going to be here forever. So this is how we, we kept our, our sanity. Like I was able to express everything to him. And I realized that there are so many women and parents that are in that position and they're not being heard. Right, You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many, so many issues that you're internalizing and you don't know how to, how to let it out. So when I got home, I was dealing with a lot of it. Like the, it was a form of PTSD. I was dealing like how I'm a felon now. Like, how am I going to ever be who the hell I want to be? How am I going to be a woman out here, an entrepreneur, successful person, prove to my sons that I am Amanda and not a person that was just with a record yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. like how do we do this and i realized that i was just a voice of so 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 many people so getting back at home and having to get back right into the hustle and bustle of daily life and get back into my career every day i was like fighting that mental battle every single day and i would tell mm-hmm. legend like Babe, what do we do? Like, how do we get this heard? How do we let people know that it's just, it's one experience. That's not Mm -hmm. who the hell you are. Right. Like, we have a million experiences day in and day out.
1: Right. I mean, there is a shocking stat, like, on your website. I I don't know the source, but 5.7 million or one in, like, every 12 U.S. children have experienced parental incarceration. Mm -hmm. When did you, like, become aware of that massive scope of a
3: problem? Okay. So, really... Um, we, it was kind of like when we had a lot of time to think about it, right? Which was during COVID, we was at home and, and I, I don't know, we just, we were so bothered by the idea of what the people incarcerated were going through. Cause if we were going through it at home, like locked up in our houses, I can only imagine what was going down, you know, behind the prison walls. And I know for sure it was like a lot of lockdowns. I know you couldn't go to the child hall. Like these little things like yeah. this can ruin your whole time. There was no vegetation. Like so, once we started looking into, we they didn't started even seeing, have
4: phone call our computer. They didn't they, have because they didn't want them touching the same phones or yeah, using the computer because someone else was gonna touch and and you know. So yeah. wow, imagine if we were going through it and we what were it is like now at home right
3: during COVID
1: and all that. Yeah, thing. so that, like that's
3: actually when we when we began to start thinking about how we could start giving back because of course like you know Amanda always wanted to do something we talked about all the time but like. You know, you're trying to get back into life. And, and you're trying to make sure that you're okay first. I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we were here to stay. You know, because right. statistically speaking, like, seven out of ten people are supposed to go back, you know? So, how did we know we were going to be one of, the, like, the successful ones that stayed home, you know? Did Did you guys have visitation
1: rights? Like, Dory and your mom were able to visit at that time? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. were. Yeah, this was in
4: 2015. So, they yeah. definitely were coming to visit. So, and
3: visitation is like, bro, you, it's like little... It's like little victories along no, the no. time. Like, every two weeks, you get a you get a visit. And yeah, then, but you're
4: talking about we're 400 miles away. We're getting yeah. a visit once a month. Yeah. Right. Like they don't locate you around the block no. where you can see your family. So,
3: imagine not having <laughs> any visit at all. It's like, so, yeah.
1: a, a little backstory that no one really knows. So, one of my stepdads mm-hmm. actually got incarcerated mm-hmm. That ahead of time. And I remember going all the way to Pensacola yep. for a visitation. So, it, it's not easy. It's no. not like, hey, you just go oh, right, no. right around Miami. Like, we had a fly into pentacola yeah rent a car stay at a hotel then have a day which was i think assumed to like 45 minutes of visitation rights oh yeah. yeah so it's like it's crazy
0: it's an
4: event you know? and- yeah for us
3: it was a five-hour drive yeah yeah that's um, nuts it's nuts and then so we kept thinking about how how these people were robbed of that of uh, of that little thing that helps pass the time and how dreadful of a time they must be going through so we really started thinking about like how we can you know, try to help that? And how can well, we help people? I was working at
4: people. Univision at the time as a criminal justice uh, journalist. Mm-hmm. So what we were doing, we were really um, connecting with other organizations and connecting with people that were going through this at the time, supporting individuals during reentry and family bonds. And I realized that a lot of people weren't treating incarceration as a family affair. Like, they just... People just outcast the person that's incarcerated and they don't think about their children, their moms, their dads, their cousins, their aunts, the caregivers that are taking care of the kids. Yeah. Like this is a non-factor to people. They don't think about this shit. No, I, and,
1: and mm-hmm. I've actually seen it in other forms. Like I worked, you know, a guy works for my dad ever since he got out. He did 10, time, 10 years hard up wow. in Atlanta. Yeah. And while he was there, it was also for drug offense and uh, one of the cocaine cowboys. He was actually mm-hmm. the pilot when he was in jail. His oldest daughter died in a car crash and they actually took him to the funeral. But he talks about the experience. Yeah, that they had him drugged up out of his mind the whole time he was at the funeral. And he can't even remember being there. So, like, it's like, you know, it's a whole scope that people don't even think about and how much it actually affects families like that, though.
3: Yeah, that's something that he'll never get back, you know, like missing that times. I can only imagine.
2: You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield, and we are speaking to Amanda and Legend Tarver of 300 Letters.
1: So what is the mission of 300 Letters?
3: The mission is to uh, help all the families impacted by incarceration. Um, the overall mission is just to bring support and give any type of resources that um, somebody who was affected by the trauma incarceration uh, help them get the support they need to be successful. Yeah, our mission right is back. to
4: treat incarceration as a family affair. Exactly, this is exactly. a family affair, and it needs to be treated as such. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: so what we want to do is we want to be able to give uh, access to these families to get therapy. Right, I was going to ask, what kind of services care. do you guys provide? Yeah. So um, we came up with the Healing Hearts program, which once uh, people are enlisted in the program, they'll get free uh, weekly therapy sessions and also get their childcare for in that time so um that way we could alleviate financial stress of course the emotional stress and um the family stress that people go through when they come home those are the three biggest contributors to recidivism and so we feel like by um giving people these resources they'll be able to break that generational incarceration curse because yeah. um, children are likely to go six times more likely to go back to prison If if their parents parents have been there, yeah.
4: Yeah. So imagine both parents, right? These kids are now twelve times more likely, like our children.
1: Like how do you, like how do you change that? You know what I mean. Like both of you have done time, obviously, Mm -hmm. for reasons. Being such, how do you instill in your kids, your sons, like, don't follow that path, Mm -hmm. don't get caught up in that mistake. How do you, you know what I mean?
4: To me, it's transparency. To me is having our children involved in everything that we do, letting them know the mistakes that we made, not hiding shit from them. Um, I know I witnessed so many parents that were going through similar situations and they lie to their kids. They tell them stories. It's, you know, right. The runaround. And that to me is just a big no, no. Our kids are not going to learn from lies and our kids are not going to learn from our mistakes and be better if we're not being transparent and having them involved. Right. If you're not mm-hmm. open with them. Yeah. You got to be open. You have to be open with your children. You can't be scared. Like the, if you shelter your kids, the world's not going to shelter them.
1: No, <laughs> absolutely know? not. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, because as soon as they step outside of that shelter, they get to see what's they to really see. out there. Yep. And it's like
4: so it's they just, can't handle it. It's yeah. giving them that that head start, you know, that, men- that mental capacity to understand that everything is not what it may seem you know you have to be alert you got to be aware Mm -hmm. and that awareness and that truthfulness with them is the only way
3: yeah and that's really where like the empowering part of our mission comes from because we want people to be we want people to not be ashamed of what the experience that they went through like you know let's talk about the things that we learned through that you know what i mean and then let's relay that to our kids you shouldn't have to be ashamed you shouldn't have to tell um, your child that you were, and make Army. up something about it, right? You know, yeah, that you were away at work. These are the, right. like just one of the, the many typical, things that yeah. we heard. You yeah. know, like, um, so that's that's the idea. You know, come home, be open, be honest, and you know, just move and it's forward. easier said than done sometimes. Of course, a lot of people of
4: have done other types of right. mistakes, made other type of mistakes and crimes, and. And it, it's hard to speak on them, but ultimately, like getting there and understanding what you went through. And that's why the Healing Hearts program exists, because when you can understand, identify shit that you can't, we, we don't know everything. So when you can talk about this stuff openly and get it off of your chest right. and then move forward, that's how it's going to stop. That's I mean, how-
1: it, it not only helps your kids, but also helps you. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it helps you. How, how, how does one go about setting up a 501c3 nonprofit organization? Can, can you tell me a little bit about that?
3: I'm going to leave this one to the president. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: All right. Like, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you even start one?
4: Um, so to start a 501c3 you need to be very clear on what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. You need to be very clear on your mission and who's the demographic and the people that you're trying to serve. Um, you have to understand that a non-for-pro- pro- non-for-profit is a non-for-profit organization, of meaning course. that there's no profit right. here. Right.
1: You're, not make, you're not taking you're anything not home. You're not taking anything right. home. Yep. You
4: know? Of course, like, you're focused on your mission. So you got to be clear on what you're trying to do and you got to be clear that this is a necessity for the people that you're trying to help that's step one step two is a lot of paperwork and an a attorney lo- a, lot of <laughs> a lot of work um you know we're new we were completely like our our, our vision started with making some t-shirts and power people that have gone through stuff that we've gone through but i was like we want to make it more you know we want to be Clear, like on what it is that we—what did we need when we got home? Right. What is it that we needed? or we could have benefited from? And I was like, we need to give something that they will will give an impression on their lives yeah, that will help more actionable, more actionable, exactly. And so that's how we started working on our mission. That's what we started working on what we wanted to deliver, how we were going to deliver it, and then we worried about the paperwork. Of course, yeah. yeah, of course.
3: And then we got professionals to help us do that part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not yeah. something that you do. Not about, hear so. you. Shout
1: out <laughs> to
4: you. our attorney. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: So the umpl- the unemployment rate now stands at like 3.6%. I mean, there are now record 5 million more job openings than unemployed people in the U.S. Is this wow. helping those formerly incarcerated people who are trying to re- like reintegrate into society simply because most employers can't find enough workers right now? Like, dude, mm-hmm. I have a hard time finding people that want to work. You know yeah. what I
3: mean? Um, I'm sure a lot of people have lowered... Uh, the expectations of people, you know, um right. to to actually take a chance to maybe look at the record, you know, because before as soon as you mark that that box that says yes, you are a felon, then right. you use probably disqualify. not gonna get an interview. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so I think more people are open it, uh, open to like finding out what the story is behind uh the experience that the person went through. Um I haven't heard personal uh stories of people being um you know better off but I think that um, if people follow the route that, um, that most people already do which is coming home maybe act, asking a friend or family member to help them out with a job then they might find one because there's more people needing jobs so I think more jobs right. are available um, in my case when I came home I, I got a job at Equinox and I was completely open and honest with them I told them that I had just came home and I was in halfway house still at the time and everything was okay I had a job for like three months I went through the whole onboarding process and as soon as I got an ankle uh, monitor. Um, uh, apparently, there was a second uh, background check that happened, and then I wasn't um, able to work at Equinox wow. anymore. So, <laughs> which um, is a blessing in disguise. It was a blessing <laughs> in disguise, but now I, I work at Legacy. Right. Uh, you know. So, um, you know, again, bittersweet. But I, I just, I, I, just hope that things like that aren't happening as much now.
4: I feel like a lot of people too now are more open to being second chance employers. I feel like. Um, Things like we're doing, bringing awareness and things like that too, are also helping people understand that everyone's story is extremely unique and you can't judge a person by a charge. You have to understand. I mean, mean that's like, I mean,
1: that would be like basically grouping everybody into one column. Which is what a lot of people do. It's easier
4: to be like not aware than aware. Right. You know, it's easier to to be kind of judgy and instead of open up your mind and heart to understanding people. So, but I feel now when it's the other way around, because people are also in need now with these job, they're like, okay, wait, mm-hmm. let me step back. Let's reassess. Let's. Yeah, let's, let's not
3: knock off everyone exactly. with a life sentence. You know, right, yeah. someone who was sentenced to two years has the, the they're under the felon umbrella, umbrella and yeah. now it's a life sentence that people right, have to answer.
1: Right, because you're dealing with that. Once you get that check in that box, mm-hmm. that stays with you. Oh, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. i know i know plenty of people
4: yeah 90 percent of people are coming home so yeah. if they did their time like let's make the transition now let's focus on that so they did their time yeah. they pay their dues and let's let's focus on reentry. let's focus on when they need to get so that we can be because ultimately it when someone's better their family's better their community's better the child yeah. is better at school the teachers are happier like it's we're, there's nothing linear here right. everyone's interconnected and that's right. what people need to understand yeah
1: I mean, we've all made mistakes. You know what I mean? Everybody. It's, it's really about those second chances and let people get learn. back into it. You know what I mean? And learn from that mistake. Yeah, you know? learn
3: from life. People change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm completely absolutely different from five years ago and 10 years ago, another oh, yeah. different person, you know? So,
1: uh, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. How can our listeners learn more about 300 letters?
3: 300letters.org, at 300letters Instagram. At 300 letters on Twitter. <laughs> e- email me. Yes. yes <laughs> We're
4: actually yeah. focused a lot now too on hearing from people that have been affected from by incarceration like us. Um, I love connecting with women like me that have gone through this experience that are mothers, fathers, parents, everyone that has, you know, brothers, sisters that have a loved one incarcerated and hearing what their, what their, you know, pain points are, what they're going through. And, and it's not being addressed um, I love bringing awareness to everything that has to do with incarceration. So, yeah. so we started our, blog our blog is yeah. going to be major. If you want to talk, if you want to vent, because sometimes we just need someone to listen to us, right. I'm yep. here. Yeah. yeah.
3: So you could go find our blog on 300letters.org as well. And then uh, we hoping that could be the thing that um, broadens up um, the brand and, and like lets more people around the nation let's know about it.
2: Yeah.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I, I really want to thank both of you for coming here today and and sharing your story and talking about your business. It's uh, it's been an awesome time. Thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you, for you for having us. Having yeah. us. Absolutely, Startup guys. Bomb.com. And we will see you guys uh,
4: <laughs>
0: soon here Saturday. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you.